Good morning. morning. I'm just going to read that passage again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Are you ready for Christmas? How many of you have been asked that this week? The last time I was asked if I was ready for Christmas, I was standing in line at this really lovely beading store on Avenue C. Have you done your shopping? Have you done your baking? Have you prepared room for your guests? We're in a season of preparation of Advent where we're asked if our hearts are ready for Christmas. So in the last few Sundays, we have we have hoped, we have prepared, we have reflected on love, and this Sunday, we rejoice, because this Sunday is the Sunday of the joy candle. So by now, you've probably become familiar with how The Christmas story is a continuation of the Old Testament story. How Israel was waiting, preparing, hoping for the Messiah. They were living within a story, waiting for the joyful ending. The nativity, there you see see the manger over there. The birth of Christ is the beginning of a joyous resolution to the story of the Bible, the long-awaited Messiah finally born. The Sundays of hope, preparation, and love, where Austin, John, and Paul prepared our hearts for the Messiah's arrival, today we experience the joy of the moment we are waiting for. Joy, it's far more than just happy feelings. It's a deeply biblical idea. Joy, as we will see, hopefully, in this message, is all around us. It's woven into creation itself. It's even beside us in our grief. And ultimately, it is pointing us to a joyous resolution to the story we find ourselves in today. So this Sunday, we're focused focusing in on this joyous resolution, the dawn, and it's dawning. It's dawning at the horizon in these dark days. We're going to do this by considering three nativity scenes, each from different cultures and traditions, to uncover the joy of finding a baby wrapped in cloths 
and lying in a manger. Whoa, that's the wrong picture, Darcy. <laughs> I can't let the guys have all the cheesy jokes. I gotta, I gotta give some of my own too. All right, next slide. <laughs> when we picture the nativity or maybe even consider the one that we have set up in our home, we often imagine something like this. That's mine. It's my little nativity. And you'll notice that I'm missing one wise man. Uh, this image is based in the tradition of European art, and it's not really close at all to what happened historically, and I think we all know that. The problem is not so much with its disconnection to the original, but with its familiarity, I think. The nativity has become so familiar that we forget about the extraordinary nature of the event and the extraordinary joy that it demands. We might do some good by looking at a few unusual nativity scenes that will help us imagine this joy anew. And in this, reconnect to the joy that the birth of Christ proclaims. Some of you might be aware of my background as an artist and an art teacher, so this sermon, it will be very arty. Um, it comes out of my experience that artists are actually really well positioned to help us see the significance of the Christmas story. They are great interpreters of scripture. Did you know that? This is because artists understand symbolism and metaphor on a deep, deep level. They are closer to the poetic imagination that scripture often requires of us when we read it. And as I struggled to come up with like a definition of joy or a three-point sermon on joy, it seemed to me that joy might be best described in pictures. It is our second COVID Christmas. And I wouldn't be honest if I didn't acknowledge that under our current circumstances, joy can be hard to find. So I'm going to allow the artists to do the talking today as they offer us three windows to joy. The first window, joy of creation. Deceptively simple. The first nativity we will consider is one that's actually very close in time, culture, and geographical proximity to the original Christmas story. This is an Ethiopian icon of the nativity of the Coptic tradition, one of the oldest church traditions in the world. And for me, that gives it a certain sense of authority. There are many interesting things happening in this image. Do you notice how the angel is mirroring Mary, holding her head in her hand peacefully? Do you notice how all the eyes are on baby Jesus? But there's another thing that stands out to me. Notice the interesting emphasis on the animals. They appear as large and prominent as Joseph and the angel above him. And though they're standing still, they have this, this energy about them that's difficult to describe. Have you ever considered the presence of animals 
and the nativity scene. I think many of our little ones, they, that might be part of their, their favorite part. Uh, this church used to have a very famous Christmas event called the, yeah, the singing Christmas tree. How many of you were actually in the singing Christmas tree? I'd just be curious. That's awesome. So I remember this. I didn't grow up in, t in this church, but I remember this. I think I saw it on TV once or twice. And I attended at least one in person. But it wasn't the impressive tree, and it was impressive, and the music that's lodged in my memory. It was, of course, the animals, the real, live animals. And to my child's mind, the real animals in a carpeted church was joyous beyond everything else. Not only were they cute and furry, they introduced the very real possibility that something could go hilariously wrong. <laughs> so I love animals. I always have. We always had pets growing up in the house, and I couldn't, I couldn't imagine my life without animals, especially in these COVID years. They're, they've really been a comfort. I'm sure many of you relate. Here are Pepper and Ruby. Aren't they cute? There are family animals, and they're all dressed up for Christmas. <laughs> Here's another story about animals. One, one of our leaders uh, in the Bible Project, Linda Reese Friesen, she's a professional horse trainer. And I remember a conversation we had about the special relationship she has with horses. And I asked her to describe this relationship for me. She began by explaining how the traditional European way of training a horse was actually to break them. And, you know, the literal word break basically beat them into submission and use fear as a tactic to train them. But when horses arrived in North America, indigenous people developed a way of training horses using the round pen. You've probably seen... Um, shows or videos of folks using the round pen to train horses. And this process relies on trust rather than fear. Um, here are her words exactly. I'm quoting her email. Within a day, sometimes two, they, the horses, hook onto you. It's something you have to experience. You just know the horse has gone from not wanting anything to do with you to following you and trusting you. When you know they are trusting you for everything, how could you not want to care for them to the best of your ability? You might be asking, what, what does this have to do with joy, with Christmas? Well, there's a really well-known uh, passage in Isaiah 11 that's often read at Advent that came to mind when I saw this, this painting. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox, the infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. 
They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Our current relationship to the natural world and to animals is broken, is it not? We destroy their habitats, we consume them on an industrial scale, we break their spirits to bend them to our will, and they can be dangerous to us. The imagery in this passage is describing a radically transformed relationship with creation. Israel, at the time these words were written and at the time of Christ's birth, they were waiting for an earthly king for a political figure from the line of David and Jesse, his father. But Isaiah's prophetic words reveal that the Messiah is not just the king of humans. He is the king of all creation. So our first window to joy is to find joy in all God's good creation. The winter sun bore wind on our faces. The twinkle of the lights reflected in the snow or a warm cat on your lap. See that God's rain is flooding in. Like Isaiah says, through Jesus, the little child, God's presence is filling all of creation, and his presence is with you today. Welcome it joyfully, as the animals did. The second window. Joy and grief and joy. Anishinaabe artist Norval Morisot is one of Canada's most important painters. He's widely considered the grandfather of contemporary Indigenous art, and his distinctive dark lines and intense colors inspired the woodlands style of painting that is still incredibly influential today. I'm guessing that you've probably seen artworks that kind of resemble this with the dark lines and the bright colors. Right now, you can actually travel to Regina to see his work in person, and it really is worth seeing in person because uh, the projection doesn't do it justice. So more so, he was raised by his maternal grandparents in their traditional spirituality and in Catholicism, both of which figure really prominent in his work. He really saw the artist as um, doing spiritual work, at the age of six, he was sent to St. Joseph's Residential School in Fort William, Ontario, like thousands of other children. There he faced sexual and psychological abuse, it, and it did deeply traumatize him, but not enough to take away his creativity. I would be incorrect to say that Morisot was uh, orthodox Christian, small o, he really, he wasn't. But Christ haunts his work in some surprising ways. He identified with Christ's suffering and depicted Christ as indigenous in several paintings. 
he rightly saw that Christ takes upon himself all of what it means to be human, our pain, our isolation, and our weakness. In, um, in his painting, it's called The Virgin Mary with the Christ Child and St. John the Baptist. There are several things to notice. First is the use of the bright gold background and the halos. In Catholic and Orthodox traditions, the use of a gold background and halos is supposed to tell us, it's like an indication to people looking at the painting, that we are looking at a scene not in our reality, but we're looking at a scene from God's perspective or from heaven's perspective. I think it's really interesting that little John is holding up Mary's halo. Isn't that great? It's like he's saying, here he is, come and see. And our eyes actually go to John first. And then they rest on Jesus. And we have to look for Jesus for a little while. He's hidden within the folds of Mary's garments, safe and warm in his mother's embrace. But then at her heart, from where she's nursing him, do you see the red shape? It almost looks as if her heart's bleeding. This reminds us of the pain that is to come for this mother and child. Along similar lines, the space where the Christ child lies looks kind of like a cave. It's like existing in this cave space, a tomb perhaps. Morisot, who is very aware of um, the art tradition surrounding the nativity, um, points to the birth, death, and resurrection, all within the same picture. And you've probably seen this before, too, because once you start to notice, look at, look at paintings of the nativity, so often the stable is a cave. That's on purpose. Birth, death, resurrection, joy, grief, and joy again. Joy and grief exist side by side in this artwork, made more poignant by an artist well acquainted with grief. And that is the human condition Christ enters. He is here in our joy and in our grief. And sometimes we have to look for him a little bit. But the grief of death does not have the final say, for the tomb he sleeps in is also the site of his resurrection, his second birth as the firstborn of the resurrection, as Paul says in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, 
and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That verse is almost too much. It's too much to comprehend. And that fullness, the fullness of God that Paul is describing there, lies here content in his mother's arms, completely dependent on her. What an inconceivable joy. So in our second window to joy, we see that there is joy, grief, and joy again. We see here a mother and child destined for grief, but also for a final joy. We recognize especially in these difficult times, that life is hard. Loss is real. To expand this idea further, I think it's best not to think of grief and joy as opposite feelings, but rather two expressions of the same love. Grief is love in loss. Joy is love found. In this image, we see that they are part of the same beautiful story and that love will be found in the end. The third window, joy in God's embrace. So we're going to just imagine something for a second. I want you to imagine a person that you have been separated from because of the pandemic. Picture that person in your mind. This could be a loved one in another country or maybe in a care home. Um, it could be an immunocompromised loved one that it's been difficult to visit or a friend or family member who's been separated from you by the other pandemics of our age, mental health and addiction. Or maybe you've been separated from someone because of differing convictions about vaccines. We are in some really strange times of separation and distance, and we long to see each other's faces. We long to physically embrace each other. And I think particularly of our church scattered, those who are with us in spirit online, I know they long to be in the same room. Hopefully you've had some reprieve from separation from your loved ones, but I know many of you haven't. In any case, I want you to imagine the time that you will be or that you were able to finally embrace. Finally able to hug them. For me, this was my, my mom. And I think we were only separated maybe for about few weeks, two months, but I remember just holding her for a long time. Hold that image with you. We'll return to it in a moment. In many ways, the artist that painted this, this painting, Sandro Botticelli, 
he was the very opposite of Norval Morisot. He was born in 1445 in Florence, um, the center of the early Italian Renaissance. He had a very successful career. He had paintings in the Sistine Chapel. Um, he had commissions from the Medicis. He did illustrations of Dante's Divine Comedy, basically hitting all the, the major plot points of the Renaissance. And though we're looking at a painting of the birth of Christ, actually his most famous painting is of another birth, the birth of Venus. Do you know that one? Though we don't know much about Botticelli's faith, we do know that he underwent some kind of spiritual shift later, in his later years. And during this time, he created a small portrayal of the nativity, likely for his own devotional use. And the projection's kind of, um, kind of deceiving. This is actually a very, very small painting. So it was meant for him to use within his own home. So what is Botticelli drawing our attention to in this image? Well, at first it looks a bit like my at-home nativity scene, though with a bunch of extra stuff going on. I think maybe even my Mary is wearing the same outfit as this Mary. But then you notice what the angels are doing. You see? What are they doing down at the bottom of the painting? They're hugging the shepherds. They're embracing them. And it appears, at least in one case, they're kissing, <laughs> kissing the shepherds. Why would Botticelli choose to show the angels in this way? It's certainly not in the biblical account of the birth of Christ. There you see a little zoom in on the angels and the shepherds. What Botticelli is pointing to is the greater story of the Bible as one of separation and estrangement. God had once been with humanity in the Garden of Eden. Then human rebellion caused a separation, a distance. And it was not until Moses built the tabernacle and instituted Israel's laws that God's presence was once again among his people, albeit in a mediated sort of way through priests and sacrifices. This is actually what we've been learning in the Bible Project currently. Later, this was carried on in Solomon's temple. The temple was the place where God was able to dwell among humanity safely. But then Israel's rebellion, just like Adam and Eve's in Genesis, ruined the relationship. And God's people became estranged and separated, distanced from God once more. God was distant far away from his people, and his throne in heaven was too far to reach. This painting is showing us the long overdue and joyful reunion between God and his heavenly kingdom, represented by the angels, and earth, represented by the very earthly shepherds. Heaven and earth embrace in this image. The birth of Jesus is God's embrace of all of creation, and in particular humanity, as within himself he embraced the human condition, birth, life, death, all of it. He became one of us so that we could be reunited and embraced by him. 
Colossians 1, 21 to 22 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you as holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. So this is the third window to joy. God's joyful embrace. Come down to earth with the infant Christ. And that embrace is waiting for you today. So if you've never experienced the joy of God welcoming you into his arms, I would like you to reflect on the reality of his love for you just as you are. In a moment, we're going to close our eyes and pray. And as we do, I would like you to imagine that loved one you long to embrace. And then I want you to imagine another image. The Bible gives us an image of the patient father longing for his child's return. God loves you, and he longs to embrace not only all of his creation, as we've looked at today, but you, beloved child. If you have never accepted that a loving creator rejoices in you, that you are loved by our Heavenly Father, or if you have long turned away from God's love for you, I invite you to accept the embrace of Christmas today. So we're going to pray a prayer of embracing God's love. Let's close our eyes and keep our eyes closed until, until I um, let you know you can open them. King Jesus, Messiah, who loved the world and whose presence fills it, who is with us in our grief and in our joy, who came into this world a helpless baby so that we could be reunited to you. We turn away from our selfishness, from our distrust. We turn away from our isolation and from our distance. For you have brought your kingdom near on earth as it is in heaven. Today we accept your joyful embrace. Be born in our hearts today. As we keep our eyes closed, if you know that this is the day that you reached out to our Creator God and accepted His embrace, I'll invite you to raise your hand so we can pray for you and connect you to our community so that you don't have to walk alone. And of course, so we can celebrate with you in joy. Thank you. You may open your eyes now. So I hope you found Christmas joy 
through these three nativities that offer us a window to joy this season. The joy of God's creation, joy, grief, and joy again, and the joy of God's embrace. So let us with renewed imaginations from the works of these artists inspired by God's word, consider this passage from Luke once more. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 